It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Dominic Fifield of The Athletic, and Adrian Clark, the tactical analyst. Manchester City will go through the formalities of qualifying for the quarterfinals of the Champions League on Wednesday night. By that time, Liverpool should have successfully overcome Inter Milan. They've won 11 games on the bounce in all competitions, so... In Pep Guardiola's words, City need to win all, or nearly all, of their remaining games to win the Premier League for the fourth time in five years. I suppose the question is, Dom, is this shaping into the best season in Premier League history? Well, it's certainly reminiscent of a few years back, 2018-19, when City and Liverpool were streets ahead of the rest that year as well. I think Liverpool finished 25 points clear of Chelsea in third place that year. And the the, the club's got 98 and 97 points between them. You know, Liverpool lose one match all season and end up being pipped for the title, which is fairly remarkable. But then, you know, this Manchester City team is remarkable. It's it's great that we've got a, a title race again, because I think if you went back a month... I think a few of us were doubting. We thought we thought it might turn into a procession, and that City were going to be that dominant and uh, the steamroller teams because they they'd done their customary ridiculous run from I don't know what I think something like November time all the way through to to mid January just beating everybody that they came up against. So it's great that we've got a bit of drama. And the, you're right, the quality the quality is 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 fantastic at the top of the table at the moment between those two and you consider you've got the european and, and world champions in third place 10 points adrift of of liverpool at the moment and it is a it is a fascinating and entrancing premier league at the moment and that title race will go down to the wire yeah we we saw an illustration of the gulf at the top in the manchester derby didn't we they might share adjoining postcodes, but but frankly, United weren't on the same planet as Manchester City. From your perspective, Aid, what about looking at City from a tactical and technical point of view? How good are they? Well, they're brilliant, aren't they? It's, it's as simple as that. Two brilliant teams, by the way, City and Liverpool. Yeah, the two best club sides on the planet, even though Chelsea have got the badge on their chest. I think that, that these two are head and shoulders away from everybody else. I th- What impresses me most, because they're a really high-tech, sophisticated, tactical team, aren't they, in terms of their, their passing, their movement, their, the patterns that they create in possession. But what impresses me most is the maintenance of the core basics un- under Pep Guardiola. Very rarely do they turn in 
a lazy display, a display where they're not really at it and they're not do they're not running hard, they're not they're not, you're not covering space, etc. It's it's really, really impressive how how he continues to motivate the individuals and, and the team there. So yeah, it, it, in in the derby, I felt that that what what was hugely impressive was the way that City kind of coped with Manchester United's unusual formation in the first half, which did cause them one or two problems. Clearly spoke about it at half-time, made one or two little positional adjustments, and then they absolutely wiped the floor with United in the second half. They've just got just got so many pluses, Manchester City, from a, from a tactical, technical point of view. They are, they're sensational. Yeah, I think also... In terms of character and attitude, Don, they, they really impressed me. You know, that willingness to work back in numbers when possession's lost, you know, that's a sign of, of a work ethic to match, you know, whatever talent they have. Yeah, and it's been typical of, of, of this team for a while. It's It was maybe highlighted more in the United game at the weekend because in the second half in particular, United appeared reluctant to do the same. I think probably what happened was they were absolutely dis- demoralised by, by the runaround they were being, they were enduring and, and that, 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 that they suffered confidence-wise as a result. But yeah, these are supremely talented footballers across their front line and midfield and, and defensive, in all honesty. But they're not luxury players. They, they all get stuck in. They all contribute defensively. They all uh, hassle and harry in midfield and, and regain possession on the rare occasions that they they spurn it. It's, I mean, that they're, they're they're a phenomenon, and you know, you know they'll, they'll have a stroll in midweek to get through in the Champions League. You just do, you just wouldn't want to be the next team to come up against them in the Premier League, really, would you? Good luck, Patrick Vieira and my boys, Crystal Palace, next Monday night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose the, the other thing that is is. It does become clear is you almost have to serve your apprenticeship as a city player, don't you? In you know, case in point, probably would be Jack Grealish. You know, he played ever so well against United. Those sort of left-sided combinations with Cancelo and Bernardo Silva basically, you know, made Aaron Mambisaka contemplate <laughs> why he was playing professional football. I should think <laughs> you need, as I say, we go back to that character issue. You do need character to in, to endure and actually work your way into that team and that system, don't you, Aid? Uh, you do, yeah, because you, you hear all the time from the players. It's so all-consuming that you have to buy into into Pep's ways, and it's they make it look easy, but it's actually quite a lot to absorb information-wise to take in and. I think that yeah, Grealish is, is is serving his apprenticeship, no doubt about that. I mean, we all know he travels with the ball so beautifully. He's a, you know, he's a wonderful talent, but he's got to earn his earn his spot within the group and and prove that he can be trusted to to deliver uh, on what Pep needs. Phil Foden, I think, is the best example actually of 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 a player having to serve out an apprenticeship. He's being used up front in this sort of false nine role. He's he's, he's outstanding at it. Love his attitude, <laughs> love the little bit of little bit of spite that's in his game, as well as the as the brilliance. But but the reason he's playing there, in my opinion, is that Pep doesn't quite trust him in terms of what he can deliver positionally, defensively, 
when you know in those deeper areas he, he he's happy to just let him have that that freer reign at the moment while he absorbs all of the information and the demands that that he needs from a Bernardo Silva or a Kevin De Bruyne or an Ilkay Gundogan so eventually he'll play there but in the meantime he's he's allowed to have a bit of fun up front in this team while, while he soaks it all in mm. You know, you talk about Kevin De Bruyne there, right? Dom, you know, I think the the interesting thing is he's going to be fresh for the business end of the season, isn't he? Because he's had his injury issues. You know, when we're looking around the Premier League, are there too many players or too many better players than him out there? No, no, not really. But he's, uh, it sort of feels a bit stuck record to, to, to be saying that, that Kevin De Bruyne is outstanding. I mean, he, he has, when he's been fit, and incidentally, when he hasn't been fit, when he's been injured, it's been the Premier League's loss. Because he's he is so he's just a wonderful player to watch. But but when he's been fit, he is he is head and shoulders above. I'm 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 almost every time every time they come up against Chelsea in in my capacity as a sort of a Chelsea correspondent to a certain extent, I always end up having to rehash the uh, the pieces as a why why was it again that Chelsea let this man go? <laughs> I mean it's you know, you could say the same for Mo Salah I guess. But but the it, it, he is he's just untouchable at, at times. He just. Uh, the the way that that blend of delicate play that he has and the subtlety of his passing, along with the what is actually quite powerful running, probably quite deceptively powerful running as well, and 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 energy and dynamism through midfield, the way that he's elusive. You think this is a player that everybody on the planet knows is is a stellar talent. He's right up there, elite, the elite of the elite, and yet you you watch. Maybe in the build-up to the second goal, or the, the, the City, City scored, and and how United players are sort of allowing him to run off them and and completely dawdling and sort of then they're sort of I don't know horror struck and dumbfounded and frozen to the spot whilst he has his fun and eventually the ball goes in. That sort of I don't know. He has that sort of elusive nature. He 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 just he just makes these runs and people don't seem capable of tracking him. Um, and that's probably just a sign of his supreme talent, as well as the, the fear and angst in which he, I don't know, which he cultivates in in opponents. Mm. What do we make of United in all this? Aid, you know, they were, as I said, you know, not on the same planet. That defence, I think, it was nominally worth 175 million pounds. Harry Maguire is going through a very, very bad time, isn't he? He is, but it's it's a collective issue. I think that that the, the back four in general w- was poor in the game. But no one, no one can tell me that these these are players that can't defend. I, I'm not I'm not having that at all. I, I I just think that that they're having a bad time as a team, and you've got to work and defend as a as a collective, haven't you? As a team from front to back, and that's what what is letting Manchester United down. They can do it for a half. They, 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 for, throughout the last two or three months, they've had a good 45, a bad 45. Sometimes it's one way round, sometimes it's the other, but they can't maintain it. And that's a mentality thing. It's it's a can I be bothered thing. That's what it looks like from the outside looking in, doesn't it? It's it's that, that will to work hard, that will to, to push yourself physically when you think, oh, I don't want to have to track this guy, but you do it anyway. And actually, it's not just you doing it. Your mate has done it as well. That's what City do. With United, it's like, now you you do it. Uh, you do it. Ah, oh, it's too late. Right, OK. It's 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 really, really sloppy. And I, and I think the culture there is 
he's he's not great at the moment, and 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 I do blame Manchester United's board in part for this for for allowing this state of limbo to to drag on and on and on because yeah there's there is no direction there is no no leader really and and as a consequence there is no team and and yeah you could you can get away with that in certain matches you can beat beat teams in the premier league and, you know but yeah outscoring them but when you meet a team like city you have to be at it for 90 minutes as a team, as a collective. And the appetite to do that was missing in that second half for Manchester United. And if I was a fan of Manchester United, I'd have been really angry, actually, that they weren't able to or they weren't willing to maintain what they'd built on up until half time. Yeah, I think it was a question of will rather than ability, wasn't it? The fallout from that, Dom, you know, Ralph Rangnick, I suppose we can say he's lost whatever authority he might have had, and that presumably calls into question his contribution. You know, if and when Manchester United get get a full time manager, this whole consultancy thing doesn't really add up, does it? And also, he's got a dressing room to contend with, which is leaking like a sieve as per usual. You know, the latest is well, Marcus Rashford's talking about his lack of game time and his contracts up in June twenty twenty three. It's you know the old come and get me plea. How difficult is it for them just to even finish this season with a degree of dignity? Well, they have to be brave, really. And I'm talking boardroom level here. I was I was fascinated by what Gary Neville was saying post-match after the derby, talking about how Ralph Rangnick won't be the manager, obviously, of Manchester United next season. He was adamant that was never going to happen. But... It's almost as if his consultancy role has already started and and what he's effectively doing at the moment is compiling a report on the dressing room and the players in the dressing room that that will go to the next man in charge. And the notes that he takes and the opinions that he forges this this season will go towards determining a longer-term future for Manchester United. And there there is a certain logic to that. It'll be painful in the short term because as you say, it's hard for him to have any real authority. It, it was hard for him from the outset to have any real authority when everybody knew that he wasn't going to be the manager next season and that his role was going to change. And we've seen that in the past when you know Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, even a figure like him, announced that he was going to retire at the end of the season and suddenly you know, the campaign collapsed. The board need to think long-term, and that's really difficult because we're all sitting here and we're ignoring any progress that might have been made over the last two months because we've we've just seen the horror show of their performance at Manchester City and and you know the immediacy of that demands answers of a club the size of Manchester United well if you're going to think long term then there's going to be short term pain that's the reality of it so it may be that this season fizzles out in in complete disappointment and they look a complete shambles but as long as they're putting some kind of building block in place to take them on next season then you know, ultimately, in two, three, four years' time, they may look back and think, well, OK, we, we did make progress there. It's, it's a similar, it's slightly similar scenario, say, to, I don't know, Arsenal's transfer window last summer where everybody said it was an absolute disaster, but actually it's in time, over time, it's been proved, actually, they've, they made real progress there and they brought in good young players that are going to be there for the long term. Because Manchester United need to have a long-term strategy. AD was talking about Harry Maguire there and 
look at Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Aaron Wan-Bissaka arrived as a £50 million footballer with 18 months of Premier League experience un- under his belt. Has Aaron Wan-Bissaka improved at Manchester United? No, not in the slightest. He's, he's probably exactly... I don't think he's got that much worse, weirdly. He's probably just the same player he was when he left Crystal Palace. But if Manchester City bring in a £50 million player, a, a youngster with 18 months of Premier League experience under their belts... Pep Guardiola makes them a hell of a lot better in two, three years' time. And they are they get progressively better. That's the reality of it. Jack Grealish next season, season after that, will be a much better player than he was than he is now, than he was last year. Manchester United, with this constant chopping and changing and not and 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 the inertia really in terms of proper coaching progress that, that they endured under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, they have not had that. They have not improved players. So players are sitting there, and they're—it's just stasis. It's, it, they're just—they're just not—they're not changing. They're not—I don't think they're getting that much worse. Confidence might dip, but they're just not getting better. What they need is a long-term strategy that allows them to improve players, even the players that they've got—the billion pounds worth of players on their books—and get them better. <laughs> and, and and maybe recruit fewer players that are beyond improvement, in in terms of buying players on the way up. I just feel. I completely agree with everything you just said there, Dom. It, I don't like the term process, but having one gives a team, gives players direction, doesn't it, and and, and clarity. At United, it's very muddled. The um, just too, there's just too many A-list stars that are a bit too cynical, a bit too over the hill. Not having the director, you know, they're not having the the, the guy in charge of, of of the movie, so to speak. It's it's um, yeah. I think you just need to streamline it a bit for Manchester United and and get more of a, a solid, hungry, supporting cast around, you know, two or three real real stellar names. You you, you use the word process there, Aid. Liverpool are following a process, aren't they? Now, you know, as I said right at the top of the show, 11 wins on the bounce. OK, one of them was in League Cup final on penalties. Clean sheets in seven of those. There's a real sense of momentum there, isn't it? Almost destiny. <laughs> Well, yeah, who knows if it's destiny, but they get they're getting there, aren't they? It's it's an impressive run. I do think actually that they've in a way, even though they've got silverware in the cabinet, the the last couple of games have been a slight backward step actually in terms of giving opponents too many chances. So if you think about that Carabao Cup final, incredibly lucky really to to end the game with it with a clean sheet with those disallowed goals and stuff. West Ham created some fantastic opportunities to score at Anfield. So they've got to be careful, Liverpool. They need to sort of tighten up a touch, I would suggest, at the back there. But in, yeah, in general, I mean, it's fantastic. And the addition of, of obviously Luis Diaz and... The return of Mane and Salah has just seemed to have given them uh, an injection of, of t- a turbo boost at just the right time, doesn't it? So um, yeah, providing they can get back to to not gifting so many opportunities to opponents, then then Liverpool will will be in the race, won't they, to push City the whole way? Yeah, there is a bit of a debate about you know the nature of their high line defensively. Just want to just concentrate on one individual for obvious reasons, Dom. Uh, Virgil van Dijk, he's now unbeaten in 60 Premier League games at Anfield. Do you think any other player at any other club matches him for consistency, not just the performance, but really of impact on people around him? 
Oh, it was difficult to compare. I mean, in terms of centre halves, you, you could argue what Thiago Silva does at Chelsea. I mean, he's he's just been unbelievably outstanding since he came to the club, and people thought he was coming for one last payday, and he he has he has excelled, and I def- has definitely raised the standards of those around him as well. But Van Dijk is, in, in terms of centre halves, I mean, he's he's almost the ultimate defender, isn't he? I mean, and, and the and the way that his his presence creates confidence amongst teammates, amongst partners. I mean, he has he's had a fair few defensive partners. It's not as if he's had a settled partnership there. I mean, he's but I think anyone who plays alongside him, they'll be well drilled on. You know, they're well coached back at Liverpool's new training ground and, and they'll know what their roles are so they can slot in. But I, I suspect that they they probably grow a couple of inches just knowing that Virgil van Dijk is sitting next to them. I mean, it's, it's difficult to compare that, I mean, in terms of inspiration because you could you could say the same for Kevin De Bruyne at Manchester City or indeed, any, you know, Silver at the start, of this, Bernardo Silver at the start of this season when he was illuminating the Premier League in the way that he was. Each team takes its inspiration from from different players. But... but I mean that is a remarkable statistic. Sixty games at Anfield is just <laughs> vaguely ludicrous, quite frankly. And and it must it must almost be psychologically, it must be fairly damaging for any opponent to come up against them on Merseyside when they know that Van Dyke is in the ranks. Mm, yeah, Inter are at Anfield on Tuesday night. They lost the leadership of Syria A to AC Milan on Sunday night. You know, old mate of yours, aid um, Olivier Giroud scoring the, the winning goal at Napoli. I suppose you know they they won handily on Friday night five nil. But do you think their spirit was broken in the latter stages of that first leg? Maybe, yeah. It was it was a, a real blow for them, wasn't it? Because I think what would have broken them was the fact that they were really on it on the night. They were playing. Almost as well as they can, I think, up until that final third. Yeah, they still couldn't hurt Liverpool. Going back to Virgil Van Dijk, it felt to me like they 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 were playing so so well at times, but then they saw the box and they saw Virgil Van Dijk in there, and it kind of, they kind of got overawed by it. It's a little bit like you know the, the days where where an English team might come up against Maldini or Baresi. It was it, it was that feeling, and they have to get over that. They played so well until the box, and then and then that's where they fell short. So they played well and still lost two 0 at home, and it was a commanding into the match, wasn't it, from Liverpool? So yeah, I I don't think Liverpool have too much to worry about. You have to respect, I think, Lataro Martinez and his pace, especially with that high line. You know, the wing backs have got a little bit of dynamism about them. You know, we know how Liverpool play. So, so there might be holes that they can exploit tactically, but but do they really believe that they will go to Anfield and, and overturn this this deficit? <laughs> Especially if Virgil Van Dijk's playing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, the answer probably no. Yeah, I suppose if you're looking at the the tie of the week, Dom, you can't look too much further than PSG at Real Madrid. Now, according to some of the Spanish observers, most notably your Spanish or your Spanish-based colleague Dermot Corrigan, Carlo Ancelotti's got Real Madrid pressing a bit higher, midfield fullbacks pressing forward. Is there a danger there that they might play into PSG's hands, or possibly given that the the, the pace that that PSG boasts on the on, on the counter, I guess 
it's, it has they have to be slightly more open than they were in the first leg because they're, they're attempting to retrieve a deficit so they have to they have to impose themselves Real Madrid on 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 the tie in, in a very different way to the game at Parc des Princes but but you know they, they can they can do that they've got they've got players of the caliber I mean people like I mean Benzema um, will be relishing the the chance to come up against PSG at home so it's a it is a fascinating. It's a fascinating encounter for for all the same reasons as the first leg was. To be honest, it's it's. I think when you look at the elite teams across Europe at the moment, you're probably thinking of the three, top three in the Premier League: Bayern, Bayern Munich, and and PSG. And then Real Madrid are probably sixth, and Real Madrid won't like that. Real Madrid will be will be insulted to be considered the sixth best team in Europe at the moment. So if if they want to break back in there and show that they still they still retain credentials of uh, you know c- competing for this trophy and in the latter stages and they need to beat a team like PSG over two legs and and that would send out a proper statement Dom, they played like the 26th best team well, did, yeah. in year year didn't yeah. they in the first Great leg coaches. i mean they played like minnows yeah. Yeah. They, they, this was real madrid going to a t- going to a fellow big gun and and kind of saying we know we're not as good as you. We're going to play this this way, and they look really poor. I thought for for much of that game, very lucky. Is there not a? I, think. I mean, I, I, look, Ancelotti's a canny manager. He knows how this works. Mm-hmm. He's he's coached mm-hmm. PSG in the early days. I mean, he, yeah. he he will have known that they were that was going to be a very difficult encounter, and, and the, the key for them was to stay in the tie yeah. ahead of the yeah. return of the Bernabeu. And and... Oh, and we know they're flaky. They're not a perfect team, are they? PSG. They've got faults. They lost to Nice, didn't they, at the weekend? So. Yeah, but they've got Mbappe, and Mbappe is yeah, he's up, he's up there, isn't he? With, with your Mo Salas for the for the best on the planet right now. I think with Mbappe on form, PSG win almost every game they play. So it's much much of what we see at the Bernabeu will depend on him. I think. Yeah, yeah, we talk about the the genius factor, I suppose, don't we? What about Bayern, Dom? They're stuttering a little bit. They drew with Leverkusen at the weekend. You know, started against uh, Salzburg 1-1. You know, there's some suggestion in Germany what they need just to settle nerves is to get Manuel Neuer back in goal. Well, maybe, but I think when you're when you're that dominant domestically, and you've got a uh, the Champions League resuming, and that will inevitably draw some focus, and maybe you take your eye off, off the ball slightly in terms of the domestic situation. What Even even with this, their recent little stumbles, they're, they're still nine points clear of Borussia Dortmund. So you'd still imagine they'll go on and win that league quite handsomely and, and comfortably. And maybe, maybe the, but I mean, look, it's not, there's no guarantee. You can't just summon form from, from, from nowhere. If you, if you, if you get into a bit of a rut domestically, you, sometimes that can drag in. It could be a hangover in, in European competition. We've seen that before in the, in the past, but, I think with the caliber of player they've got and the the big game player and yeah bringing them um, um, having a Manuel Neuer that they can they can turn to who's just been there and done it for god how many years has he been on the scene now I mean, he was he was 10 15 years almost isn't it? it's ridiculous but but having that caliber of player that that quality that pedigree will get you out of tight situations more often than not and uh, yeah that they will be a threat going into the latter stage of this competition surely yeah, I, I was in, intrigued by a bit of speculation that Lewandowski's people are reaching out to Manchester United. That would make a bit of sense, wouldn't it, Aid? Well, man, Man United love a 
love a veteran, don't they? Love, a, <laughs> love an A-list vet. Yeah. Um, Let's hope this uh, one look, turns up, unlike Cavani. Who's, OK, he seems to be bound for Barcelona, but he's, let's say he's semi-detached, I think, at the moment. Yeah, he? look, if, yeah, if it's true that he didn't he didn't really fancy it, then, then you, yeah, you, you can't be involved in him moving forward. It's just as simple as that. Lewandowski is an interesting one, isn't he? Because he's bucking the trend for strikers. At, at 33, most strikers are, are on the wane. Most... Uh, uh, having a major downturn in goal output, but yeah, even though he might not be peak Lewandowski, he's still still banging them in, isn't he? He's still well into the twenties already in the Bundesliga for for Bayern Munich. So yeah, I mean, I get it from his point of view. One last challenge. Let's have a crack at the Premier League, and and of course he'll look around and think, well, who'll take me? Who'll take me on the on the wages? Who doesn't mind, you know, taking an old in? It Manchester United are the clear, are the clear front runners, aren't they? But it's yeah, it, is that right for Manchester United moving forward? I think we've already sort of covered them and mm. what they need to do. And maybe even though the temptation would be huge, maybe in the lo- if you're going to have this long term strategy, maybe they need to to kick it in and uh, you know swerve swerve that particular move. Mm. Yeah, Chelsea, yeah, well, they're at Norwich on Thursday in, the, in a couple of the Premier League games which are being played. They're also defending a 2-0 lead in Lille next week. Dom, obviously you're close to that club. How impressed have you been by Thomas Tuchel, given the political controversy and all that sudden insecurity caused by you know, impending ownership change? Well, I do think it's remarkable that uh, when Tuchel arrived at, at Chelsea, the suggestion was that this was a very volatile person that would would, uh, definitely fall out with the ownership, definitely sound off in press conferences and would be, well, and I was guilty of believing it as well, that, you know, it would would all inevitably follow the same familiar course towards a divorce. What we've actually seen, and and I'm going to ignore the little outburst that he had prior to the Luton Town game, because I do think that was born of being asked the same question about six times in a row and having, having, been asked and answered it pretty much at the weekend as well. So being prickly in, in that regard is, is is understandable. He has been very, very, very dignified in the way that he's dealt with it. He's been very, very honest as well, which has been excellent. In the build-up to the League Cup final, when he was asked about the issue of having a Russian owner at this particular time, given the situation in Ukraine... He was honest about it then. He said, yeah, well, he admitted that inevitably some people out there will will have a problem with this. And, and you know, it's actually something that you can understand why they would have a problem with it. The way that he, I was at Burnley at the weekend and we all sat there dumbfounded that some in that away section, enough in the away section to be easily heard around the stadium, decided to chant... Roman Abramovich's name during a minute's applause in solidarity of the of what's happening to the Ukrainian people at the moment. We he heard it when the question was being asked of him in the post match press conference. He actually interrupted the question because he knew where, where it was going, and he just made the point from the outset. Yeah, that wasn't the time to be doing that. That wasn't the time to to be to be shouting Roman Abramovich's name. Everybody can understand why Chelsea supporters and Chelsea Football Club is will be eternally grateful to Roman Abramovich for the money he's pumped into that club to transform it over the years. I think I, I counted, I was counting the number of times that that particular chorus 
erupted over the course of that game. And it was something like eight times subsequently. And it's almost like it's, it might be deemed provocative still, but it's still almost understandable that you can chant it during a game, particularly at a time when you're bidding, potentially bidding farewell to an owner of 19 years that you've, you've loved having your club pump money into basically. But the timing of it during that minute's applause was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. And it, whether it was intended or not, and whether people were just trying to say, oh, look, he's he said he's going to give all net profits of this of the sale to the victims of the war in the Ukraine, and therefore that's reason to celebrate the fact that it's right. It was provocative doing it, chanting the Russians' name during that minute's applause, and it, it made it feel like a taunt at a time when everybody was trying... It was about solidarity for the, for the people who were, who were dying and suffering in Ukraine at the moment. So... I thought Tuchel was brilliant on that, absolutely brilliant, and he it called it out. Tasteless. Absolutely yeah, called it tasteless out. Tasteless in the extreme, wasn't it? And yeah, Tuchel's an intelligent man, and and yeah, I think he's control. I think he dealt with the Lukaku situation very maturely, as he is this one as well. Yeah, I suppose we do live in a an age of managerial accountability, don't we? Aid, you know, and you know, I have to say on the record, Dom, I thought. You know, you, you expressed yourself perfectly there as well. But that picture, you know, we, we've, we've had Eddie Howe, for instance, having to deal with questions about Yemen and, and the nature of the Saudi ownership at, at Newcastle. This is tough in many ways, but can you understand the logic that, look, he's the most visible and therefore accessible senior club representative so, okay, he's a football manager, but he has to answer these type of questions. Yeah, I, it's, it's a hard one. I, personally, I just, I do have a, you know, an element of sympathy for Eddie Howe on this one. Again, going back to what Dom said, being asked the same questions really over and over again, over again in, in different, different situations. It, 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 what can he say? Really? What, what can he say? It's not really a, a, a hugely fluid situation. Yeah, he, he he can't really speak speak his mind, can he? Particularly, it's I think in his situation, I would I would batten down the hatches and just focus on football as well. I think that's what he's an expert in, and and that's what what he should probably stick to. And and maybe from from the journalist's point of view, maybe you know maybe they'll just stop asking him the questions and and maybe seek out the people in 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 positions higher up at Newcastle United for. For, for for responses to certain to certain questions because I, I don't yeah I don't think that Eddie is is really in a position to be to be talking about that in Tuchel's case he is exposed because there is other than Petr Cech I can't think of any member of that hierarchy that ever really talks publicly obviously we've never spoken to Roman Abramovich Marina Granovskaya has never spoken publicly so I mean, Czech has, and he has become more of a mouthpiece in recent times, and the Super League really demonstrated that to a certain extent. But basically, you're right. Tuchel is one exposed. With 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 Newcastle, it's slightly different because you could argue that there have been plenty of opportunities for people to talk to Amanda Staveley, and probably actually the answers have always been fairly unconvincing on on the that type of questions that have been asked of of her. But but. In the situation that Eddie Howe found himself in, yeah, it was it was it was really difficult for him. But I, I I suppose journalistically, if you've got a situation where the threat of sanctions is being mooted over Roman Abramovich because his country has um, invaded a neighbouring country, then I I guess 
it's almost justified journalistically to ask, you know, of Newcastle United, why Saudi? Although I know that, you know, the, the link between Saudi is still disputed and PIF, etc. But but again, a neighbouring country is being is being bombed. So very, very difficult situation and, and not something that Eddie Howe is going to provide an illuminating answer on. I wouldn't have thought either, to be honest. But, but there you go. I suppose in his let's say his day job, he's, he's you know he's basically got Newcastle out of trouble, hasn't yeah, he? They're pretty much really in clear well. water. They're at Southampton on Thursday. Aid, yeah. As a former player yourself, I'd like your perspective on this, please. John Joe Shelby, you know, he came up with a completely unnecessary apology for his performance, and the club turned it into sort of social media content. What on earth is the benefit from doing that? Yeah, I just think it's all nonsense. It's it's garbage. There are a lot of elements of, of modern football that are just crap. Um, Birmingham City changing their name the other week to Small Heath Alliance. I mean, for a marketing thing, for a TV show. I mean, come on. Well, we all like, oh, I love Peaky Blinders, but it's just nonsense. It's just, yeah, just one of the aspects of modern football that, that drives me mad. And as does pointless social media content and, and actually players feeling they have to apologise. I, th- I think, I don't know what, what, what happened here, whether it was an, a, a quotes from an interview or whether he took it upon himself to make a statement, John Joe Shelby, so to speak, apologising for his performance. But there's just, there's just no need. You know, it's the same as you know, post-match tweets with players saying how wonderful the fans were, you know, stick with us and all this nonsense. It's just, just pointless guff, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's just... I just think players. Actually, I think players because elements of social media have got so so poisonous. I just don't think I would be entertaining it if I was um, if I was playing these days. And you know, I, I enjoy it in the work that I do, and you know, I use it to promote some of the some of the stuff that, that, that you know that, that I'm producing content wise, and I embrace it. But as a footballer, I don't really see the upsides anymore. I think I think they're, they're, it's all downsides. So I, I would swerve it, and yeah, John Joe doesn't need to apologise. Not certainly not after a, you know another win. You know, fantastic, heading in the right direction, aren't they under under Eddie Howe? And, and I think what Eddie Howe is doing here is he's showing that you know he can improve players. They're significantly braver and a better coach team now than they were earlier on in the season. So. Yeah, it, it, yeah. What's happened in the last few weeks has has enhanced Eddie Howe's reputation hugely. I think. Well, yeah. Bear with me, my I'm just just scheduling my tweet to apologise for my performance on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> there we go. That should go out this afternoon. I, I don't believe oh. that you're multitasking, Fifield. I can't believe it. Oh dear. All right. Oh well, back to football then. Um, <laughs> Leicester, they're a home to Wren in uh, the European or Europa Conference. Successive wins, is that a sign, Dom, that they're stabilising? Possibly. Successive clean sheets is probably the most significant aspect of that. Wren will test that. Wren are a decent team. I saw them last year in the Champions League and they've got, they were physical, they were aggressive. They had Camaraviga at the time, who was, Camaraviga rather, who, who, was, who was excellent and has obviously now moved on, but... They've got something about them. They're they're one of those league on sides that just just below the PSG level, 
who are who are always capable of finishing anywhere between second and eighth, really, because they're all they're all very similar. They're all, they've got a lot of physicality, a lot of pace, a lot of quality, but maybe they just there's always one aspect they're probably lacking in. It's usually a twenty goal striker, but they will test. Leicester physically, I suspect, across that back line. But, but yeah, look, it's it, Leicester needed that. I think the return of Jamie Vardy was a a, a massive fillet for them at one end, and, and weirdly, probably raised spirits across the whole t- team, including the back line. Just having that that threat, um, that out ball upfield as well, it's 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 so useful. And having a player of his caliber that you just know that you're gonna you know what you're gonna get from him. And for him to score against Burnley last week to sort of get back into the groove was excellent. I know he was off the pitch by the time Harvey Barnes scored the winner at the weekend, but you know, just just to have that, just to have that option, I think is is a real Philip, and will will boost them going into the last part of the season because they really do need to do well in this competition. They need they need they need to come out of this with a. They need this season to be another more evidence of progress, really. Otherwise, you know, the accusations pretty build up pretty quickly and there was a period where they, you know not long ago where Brendan Rodgers suddenly appeared to be under some kind of pressure there which is fairly remarkable given the, the the progress that he's instigated over the last few years but it's about constantly constantly evolving and constantly getting better and and uh, hopefully over, over the the last couple of months of the season they will do that having people like Fafana coming back in is going to make a massive difference as well so that there are a lot of positives there for, for Leicester City to cling to. But yeah, they, they need a good convincing performance against Wren, who are one of the better teams in that in that competition still, just to, to really boost the confidence further. Yeah. What about West Ham, Aid? They're in Seville to face the Europa League uh, specialists. You know, watching them at Anfield, the, the, the question sort of formed in my mind, who is going to score sufficient goals for them if their season isn't going to peter out? Well, yeah, that is, I think, the, the the core of West Ham fans' fears right right now. Because especially with Jared Bowen, now we don't know the extent of his injury, do we? But but Bowen has carried the team of late with with Antonio's goals drying up, and and, and of the others, you know, four nows, Ben Rama, these guys, they get into the positions, but they're not consistent goal scorers, are they? Vlasic doesn't doesn't look capable of scoring enough goals. I do fear actually that that West Ham's failure to to buy you know a proper striker last summer and in January could cost the club a fortune in terms of where they finish this season with with someone of Antonio standing up top I do think that they they stood a really good chance of of top 4 certainly Europa League yeah, without it, they're, they're scrambling to get to get one of those places. May well end up in the in the Conference League. So, yeah, I I don't know is the answer. I don't think David Boyce knows, and and I do think that Sevilla have to be strong favourites over the two legs here. Best defence in La Liga, lost just twice in the league this season. They're unbeaten on their own patch as well domestically this season. This is a proper test of West Ham United and yeah my hunch is that they'll be this might be the end of their journey in, in this competition mm. yeah what about Arsenal Don we, we, we'll give um, Aid his chance to, to act like a <laughs> proud dad in a minute but um, you know they're ahead of United in fourth place they've got two games in hand on them the Champions League qualifying place is theirs to lose isn't it well yeah because they're the they're the club in 
uh, in force at the moment, and that they, those games in hand do look very tempting. And and uh, you have, they have to be won, though. That's the problem, and that, that it's all very well having them, but they have to they have to go out there and use them to their advantage. I thought their performance at, at, at Watford probably summed up everything good and bad about about them in, in in recent weeks. I mean, as an attacking force, they're absolutely irresistible at times. Some of the uh, some of the, the the passing moves that they 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 conjure and the and the the way that Saka and and they've been doing that without Smith Rowe by the way, but Martinelli's playing out of his skin as well. Lacazette's doing a very selfless role and seems to be stretching opponents despite the fact that he's not scoring that many goals. Um, they, they just they've got confidence running through their team as an attacking force at the moment. But there is that the two goals they conceded. Okay, one of them was absolutely astonishing finish from Hernandez, but there is a I suspect teams will look at that and think there was still a vulnerability there that they could possibly exploit. And I don't think we should I don't think we should get too ahead of ourselves. There are some very difficult games left for Arsenal, even amongst those games in hand. I think one of them may be Chelsea away, actually, as well. I mean, they've got some really interesting collisions ahead. And while given given everything that's happened over the last few years, really which has almost scarred the club and and maybe will will bolster opponents as well that they will think that they that Arsenal can always be hauled in which might be unfair because this 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 group of of young thrusting talents is um is doing some fantastic stuff going forward in particular Ben White's been good at the back as well in all fairness Ramsdale's been excellent so there's a lot going right for them but we'll see. Let's see for the next couple of months. And I'll hand over to Adrian to tell me how uh, this is. Uh, actually, it's a title challenge and I've just got misread it. <laughs> well, I suppose the, the next two league games are going to be quite interesting, aren't they? Leicester and, and Liverpool. But yeah, I, the floor's yours. How good are they and how good could they be? Oh, look, they're not... They're still a floor team. So let's not, let's not say that they're the finished article because they aren't. What I think they've they've done is found a, a groove at the moment, some patterns of play that that, that are irresistible. I, I agree with Dom there. You know, reminding me of, of the glory days of Arsenal. Some of the some of the the goals that they've scored this season. Some of the fluent, you know, back to front moves. Just just glorious to watch. But yeah, what's happened recently is a slight tactical shift. Arsenal are playing higher at the pitch. They're they're basically using Thomas Partey as the sole central midfielder. We've sort of Xhaka higher and wider, Erdegaard mirroring that on, on the other side of him, and then having the, the, the wide guys as well in support of Lacazette. And, and it's creating some wonderful moves and some good patterns, and they're winning the ball high. But the payoff is when they lose the ball. There's not a huge safety net. You know, you're very reliant on, on Gabriel and White to, to save the day to, to some degree. So it's, it's a payoff. And at the moment, I think that Arteta is willing to to take that chance and be aggressive and give up chances because he thinks that that his team can can have a better chance of scoring multiple goals playing playing this way. Now you say about Leicester and Liverpool coming up at home, I think they will play the same way. I don't think they will be too you know reticent to to continue what they're doing. Now that might expose them. And they could see could concede goals in both games, and and end up dropping points. But but I think that at the moment, he wants to take that chance and be a bit more aggressive and get an extra body inside the opposition half, rather 
than playing that sort of cautious style that we saw in the earlier days of, of Mikel Arteta, where, where he focused really heavily on, on tightening up the defence. So, yeah, in, interesting time for, uh, ahead for this team. But, yeah, like in Saka and Odegaard, two of the most informed players in the division, physically improving, confidence is, is obviously flying. And, yeah, it's I mean, just the quality of their decision-making and uh, inside the final third is just tremendous at the moment. It's really, really exciting. Mm. You know, way back in prehistory, there was you know, someone once said that you'd never win anything with kids. Wolves, they're at home to Watford on Thursday, Dom, which might be a relief to Watford because I think they've lost 10 of their last 11 away ga- home games. Wolves have lost their last three, so they're fading in terms of European qualification. What did you make of uh, Bruno Large being scathing about Kijana Herver and other the, the attitude of other young players there? It was a kick out the backside, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 he's he's clearly not been impressed by what he's seen in training of late. He wasn't impressed. I mean, the first half of the weekend, and I know I would say this, but the first half of the weekend, they were outplayed. And I, I can appreciate that, that there may be a bit of a a hangover at the moment in that Wolves team because they, they, they were just building up all that momentum to to break it, possibly even to the top four. They were considering life that high. And now they're suddenly struggling to get results together, largely because of the you know late, late, late defeat at, at Arsenal and uh, a sort of meek performance, relatively meek performance at West Ham the following weekend. But that first half, they just looked a team that were rattled. And, and it wasn't it wasn't just it wasn't just Hover. I mean, there were players up and down that team, players who have been excelling all season, people like Kilman, who gave the ball away so wastefully. You know, Palace, Palace did that was probably the best 45 minutes of football, possibly hour of football that, that uh, Patrick Vieira's team has, has, has played this season in terms of their urgency and the way they swarmed all over Wolves. But I think they were allowed to do that, really, because Wolves, Wolves were so hesitant and so sloppy in possession. Now, the... To, you can argue that, that that incidentally, this was Lager's first sort of public press conference, if you like, in face-to-face press conference of the season, possibly of his tenure. Then it would be, given given COVID restrictions had now been relaxed, and he just used it as an occasion to almost just to remind that the players that they they've not made it, they they they've not they're not there yet, they're not. They're not the finished articles, no, not in the slightest, and they shouldn't be complacent enough to think that they can, they can just rock up and 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 steamroller a mid-table team from in the Premier League. It's just not going to happen. If you if you are sloppy, if you are slack, you will get beaten by virtually any team in the, in in this division, and that includes Watford on Thursday. So I think it was just a little reminder, a little you know, a little kick up the backside, elbow to the ribs, whatever you want, just just. Raise your standards, and uh, yeah, and if you're not if you're not warmed up, if you're not being if you're not being playing to a right tempo in training, and, and then you go into a game and you you go down injured after twenty minutes, well, that might be freakish, but it's more likely to be down to that lack of intensity that in your preparation, and that's what's cost you. Yeah, don't it was a don't believe your own hype message, wasn't it? And all you got to do is look at the top two, City and Liverpool. You know, they don't, you know, you, you can't imagine any of their fringe players coasting through training sessions, knocking on the manager's door saying, I need game time, I need game time. And, and they're not really, you know, putting in the effort 
in training to, to warrant it, it's it just wouldn't happen. So I think, yeah, it's a sort of line in the sand and it's just, it's an opportunity, isn't it, for, for Large to say, yeah, you've done well, you've exceeded expectations to a degree, but yeah, you haven't made it and, and we have to keep driving and keep pushing. Good management, in my opinion, there. Yeah, I just want to end on almost like the feel-good factor of the weekend. You know, as we've said and as we've discussed tangentially today, you know, football is 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 a respite from reality. And now, for me, the best moment of the weekend was the wrestling match between Brandon Williams and Christian Eriksen, which ended when Williams realised who he was tussling with. He, he smiled, he gave the Dane a quick cuddle, and they got on with the game. Ericsson understands probably more than anyone the privilege of that simple pleasure and it's great to see him starting for Brentford. He's a symbol of resilience but lest we forget he's also a terrific highly technical footballer and it would be quite something if he made the World Cup. In the meantime just want to give my thanks to Dom and Adrian for their insight and I look forward to their social media posts later today (laughs) and thanks very much for you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.